Welcome to the AFP Report. This is your host, John Friend. Today is Friday, July 21st, 2023. The AFP Report is a podcast series where I will be interviewing reporters and contributors to American Free Press, America's last real newspaper, as well as other special guests. Please consider subscribing to the newspaper if you are not already. Subscription details can be found at AmericanFreePress.net. And today I'm joined once again by James Edwards, the host of The Political Cesspool radio program and a new contributor to American Free Press. All right, James Edwards, welcome back to the program, sir. How are you today? It's great to be back, John. I'm doing good. It's always good to talk to you, uh, whether it be here on this program or on The Political Cesspool, where you'll be on Saturday night if uh, this is posted before then. So whether it's a home or away, it's always good to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's been a while since I've I've been on the political cesspool, and I am very much looking forward to that. Um, and yeah, this will be this will be posted on Friday, July twenty first, um, so people can can check out, obviously this podcast out over at AmericanFreePress.net. Um, but I wanted to start off by, of course, thanking you for taking the time to speak with me once again. Again, I, I I agree. It's always great to catch up with you. You are, of course, the longtime host of the political cesspool radio program which airs live every Saturday evening from 6 to 9 p.m. Central Time, and the website is thepoliticalcesspool.com for those interested, and that's a program that I've been following for a long time. I tune into pretty much all three hours every week, more or less, and you always have great guests. You're very active. You're always covering events. In fact, you were just in in South Carolina, right? Like, just was that last weekend? It's, it has been a blur. Uh, we went from uh, our annual Fourth of July show with Steve King, former Congressman Steve King. We went straight on the road to South Carolina. We did a live remote broadcast from what they call Dixie Fest up there, which just brings it brings out a thousand people uh, and, and throughout the day at this carnival-like event uh, that is very much pro-South, pro-white, pro-Christian, and you got people from the local community coming there completely without any reservations and enjoying being who they are. And uh, we had a great time up there. Uh, a lot of people showed up uh, this time. Um, Michael Hill of the League of the South, Sam Dixon, and and other uh, movement usual suspects. And uh, we were up there for about four days, came straight back to an event, Freedom Fest, uh, to cover that uh, for, for the program, which we talked about last week. And then, I'm yeah, back on the road in uh, August. We're going to be... Uh, speaking at the American Renaissance Conference, doing a live remote broadcast. And there's always something going on, <laughs> always something going on. Yeah, man, good. You're staying busy. And yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I follow the political cesspool pretty closely. And you've always got uh, interesting guests and, and, you know, you're always covering interesting events. Now, you also, I just want to mention this briefly. You also recently contributed to a book titled The Honorable Cause, A Free South, which I believe came out in like early April. Um, it's available from the Barnes Review. I actually wrote a sort of review promotional type article that was just published in the most recent issue of the Barnes Review, which is a bi-monthly history magazine. And you can find that review actually posted at the website of BarnesReview.org and my personal website, TheRealistReport.com. And that was a very, very excellent book. Your 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 contribution was excellent. You wrote one of the 12 chapters. And also I should mention, um, I actually interviewed – Patrick Martin, who was yes. a contributor, yeah, and one of the co-editors of that book, and you can find that over at BarnesReview.org as well. So I did want to plug that. Um, you know, well, if I, can, if I yeah, could, go if, ahead. If John, if we have a moment uh, where I can uh, similarly laud you with praise, uh, and this is all 
uh, the honest to God's truth with no embellishment. Let me first just say that we are uh, members, as my friend Sam Dixon puts it, of uh, Mutual Admiration Society. Your work with the Barnes Review and the American Free Press uh, is absolutely outstanding. You know, I've told you behind the scenes uh, that I think you're the best reporter, pound for pound, that our movement's got. And uh, But all, all of the authors, you mentioned the book, I actually uh, decided to accept the opportunity to write a chapter in that book because Amazon had banned my first book, Racism Schmacism, which was written back in 2010. So it's just like if you cut off my arm, I'll grow, I'll use my legs. If you cut off my legs, I'll grow a tail or wings or whatever it takes. And so I decided that at first I didn't think I would have the time to to do it when Patrick Barton had asked me, and that was an excellent interview you did uh, with him. But uh, since my own book, after 13 years, just out of the blue, it got canceled on Amazon. So I said, yeah, I'll uh, I'll take you up on this now on second thought. And all of the, uh, but the point is, all of the uh, authors and contributors to that book, uh, we are in a Telegram chat together, and they were all commenting on what a remarkable review you did for the Barnes Review. And, uh, of course, everybody was listening to that interview you did with Patrick over the course of the last week as well. So uh, you've got a lot of friends in the pages of that book amongst the, the 12 uh, <laughs> the twelve apostles who put it together. Awesome. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. That's good to hear. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great book. I mean, I bought it as soon as it came out. And as I explained in that interview with, with Patrick, I mean, I pretty much read it in like a matter of a day. <laughs> it's one of those books that, I mean, it's not like super, super like intellectual or difficult to get through. It's it was a, an interesting read, makes a very strong case for the Southern position. And I myself, you know, I grew up in the Midwest and I've kind of lived all over the place. I've never actually lived in the South, but I have traveled to the South. Um, but Dixie has always had a very special place in my heart. Um, and I very much sympathize with the not only the, the, the Southern culture and heritage, but like the Southern cause in general. So it's a great book and I would encourage people to check it out. Um, and, and thank you very much for those kind words. I, I really do appreciate that. It was really a, a great review, and it was the most recent review coming out in the July-August um, edition of TBR, which I, I should say, uh, after all these years now, 19 years on radio, I've really gotten a chance over the course of the last few months going back that we wrote the book back in December. It was uh, published and officially launched on April 1st. And uh, we've been doing publicity and all of that since then. But uh, really over the course of the last year, I got a chance to uh, test my writing chops again because it wasn't just the book, as you well know. I am really honored, and I want to tell uh, both you. I know. I guess we got to get down to some substance here in just a moment, but I think it's important for people to work together and to be adaptive and nimble when when opportunities are cut off to seek to apply yourself elsewhere. Uh, to work with um, you and Paul Angel in uh, uh, with the American Free Press, uh, and y'all having me come on as uh, sort of a uh, at least for the last few weeks, a regular contributor, and hopefully that'll continue. I really have enjoyed that uh, quite a bit, quite a bit. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I was going to actually bring that up as well. Um, you know, yeah, you're you're basically um, more or less a, a regular contributor, at least in these recent issues. I think you've published, I think we've published three total articles. Three. So yeah, it's you know it's it's been great, um, and I've been sort of encouraging you to submit something for quite a while. <laughs> so I'm glad that you took up you know took up the initiative because you are a great writer, and all the articles have been very impressive and, and very provocative and thought provoking. So um you know what I I before we even get into that um I wanted to mention because the last time you were on the program with me, you had a very thriving Twitter profile, but since <laughs> then yeah since then you've been very unceremoniously banned from that platform really for no reason, which of course is, you know, Twitter's owned now by the billionaire Elon Musk 
who's been absurdly absurdly described as like a free speech absolutist or something. You know, he was out there vowing to restore free speech on the platform, and boy, that has turned out to be a total joke. And I actually wrote a piece for American Free Press a few months ago, back in May, highlighting how you've been banned, Dr. Kevin McDonald, Dr. Tom Sunick, and many, many others were banned right about the same time. It was like, you know, they, they do these purges every once in a while. Um, and there's other people um, that, you know, that were banned around the same time. I know uh, Andrew yeah. Anglin from The Daily Stormer. Paul Fromm was also banned. All Not near the yeah. same time. It was all the exact same morning. It was bloody right, uh, right. <laughs> whatever day it was. It was the exact same morning. I believe it was a Monday morning in April. It was a bloody Monday. Uh, Kevin and Paul Fromm and I and, as you mentioned, uh, several others all got it at the same time with no warning, no no um, any indication whatsoever that that was going to happen. Well, you know, it's interesting, though, because I had survived the previous Twitter regime that was supposed to have been woke, and then when the based – Elon Musk takes over. Here we are. And there is no appeal. Believe me, there is nothing. We are gone and gone for good. There was no explanation. Uh, no, nothing. We just logged on. Didn't even get an email saying we had been banned. It's just when you went on, to, you said you were banned when you got on to tweet. But there was no reason, uh, no appeal. Uh, but it was actually because of that. Interestingly, as I said, that we, I, I made the decision uh, to take up Patrick Martin uh, on the opportunity to write a chapter the opening chapter for the honorable cause uh, as a result of Amazon all of a sudden banning racism, spacism, which, you know, after, after 12 years at the time, it wasn't, you know, selling briskly anymore, but I still liked having it up there because you'd still get a, you know, a few sales a month or whatever. I'm just like, you know, that pissed me off. So if you're going to ban me here, I'm just going to, I'll contribute to this book and we'll, we'll put out another book then. How about that? And it was actually, yeah, you mentioned uh, John, you had asked me, some months ago, I think it was also late last year, late 2022, about you know maybe doing something for either the Barnes Review or the uh, or the newspaper, and it immediately immediately was something I was very interested in because of um, the, the you know, how venerable the, the AFP, you know, formerly the Spotlight. I actually just a quick behind the scenes story. I don't know if I've told you this before, but uh, after working on the Buchanan campaign in, in 2000, which is where I got my start. Uh, I, I then wanted to keep, you know, the band together. Some of the people that I'd met uh, as a result of working on that campaign and, and uh, we kept them together and sort of transitioned into my own race for the Tennessee state legislature in 2002. And then when that ended, I had this year uh, in between November of 2002, really almost two years between November of 02 and October of 2004, where I really didn't know how I was going to apply myself, but a, a friend of mine from the Buchanan campaign, who was a very close personal friend of Willis Cardo's, he said, how about we go up to Washington, we'll meet with Willis Cardo, and we'll see about you writing for the American Free Press. And uh, we did go up there, and I stayed in touch with Willis. He actually sent me a wedding gift when I got married in 2006, and of course, you know, I, he was immediately a hero of mine, uh, and going back for his work for decades as a champion for our people and for our cause. Uh, and he actually let me uh, write a few articles, you know, here and there. They weren't particularly good <laughs> back in 2002, but he, uh, or excuse me, in 2003, but he humored me. And, and so I actually had a, a somewhat of a, and I even put it on the back of my book that I'd previously served as a writer for the American Free Press uh, when that came out in 2010. And so that was always something that was very special to me. But I, I, I when you asked me about it at the time, I, even though I wanted to, I just didn't think I could because I had been stretched so thin. And uh, it's not like I'm a prima donna or anything, but 
I, I, I don't want to do anything unless I can do it to the very best of my ability and commit to doing it on a, on a regular schedule. But then comes the Twitter ban that you mentioned. And after I got banned from Twitter, not that Twitter was too time consuming, but it really just motivated me. I mean, it did take some time. I mean, you know, tweet and do respond. But once that was taken off uh, off the shelf, I was like, okay, you're going to ban me here? How about, you know, here's a, a, a real legitimate bona fide print newspaper uh, that's got a uh, coveted readership, and you know, I'll, I'll I'll do that. You cut me off at Amazon, I'll write another book. You cut me off at Twitter, uh, and uh, we were able to do that. And yeah, I'd, I'd love to remain a, a regular contributor to to American Free Press. It's just uh, it's a wonderful institution. Of course, I'm old school. I'm <laughs> I like terrestrial talk AM radio, and I like print newspapers. Right. Uh, but it's, it's been a wonderful thing so far. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, me too. Um, and, and you're making a lot of good points, and I couldn't agree with you more about the importance of having a like print newspaper, despite how seemingly outdated it is, you know, in our modern era. But I mean, you know, your 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 ban from Twitter is a, a perfect example of just why it is so important to have a, a print publication like this. Exactly. Because, yeah, because people are getting shut down left and right, and frankly. I don't even know how I even have a Twitter page, to I, be honest with you. I mean, I don't even really do anything with it. I mean, I basically use it just to post links to articles that I find interesting and that I want to go back and maybe reference for a future article I'm working on or something like that. So it's really kind of more of just a way for me to store articles and have like an archive right. of articles I want to go back and reference. But that being said, um, I have basically been shadow banned from Twitter yeah. for several, several years. I mean, for the longest time, you couldn't even post a link to my website on Twitter. It would immediately flag it as like malicious material and it wouldn't let you post it. Now, that's that's changed. You can actually post links to my website now. Although, you know what? I still do have issues from time to time. But either way, what I'm saying is that Twitter has definitely been no home of, of, of free speech. And, certain, and so that's certainly the case under Elon Musk. I mean, the guys from like the National Justice Party, for example, you can't post a link to their website. Yeah. All of them are like permanently banned from the platform. Same thing with Nick Fuentes. I mean, the censorship is just off the charts. And again, that's why I think it is very important to have, you know, a print newspaper, a print historical journal, um, alternative media platforms like Gab or Telegram. And that's actually where I was going with this. Um, I, cause I did want to, you know, I was planning on promoting your Twitter page and then I was like, Oh wait, no, he got banned. <laughs> so I was going to ask you, is there like, is it the, the best way to, to follow you? Is it the political org or do you have like a telegram or a gab page or anything like that? No, I, I'm just at the political org. Uh, and of course <laughs> we can't even take online contributions. So yeah, you talk about old school, uh, AM talk radio and snail mail. That's how we, <laughs> we operate. And thankfully uh, we have now the American Free Press, which which uh, you know increases my voice. And we've got the book. I mean, we're around, but uh, it, but it, but it isn't. It is. I, I I personally. I mean, I'm 43 years old. I turned 43 last month, and uh, but I personally prefer to read things that are handheld. Uh, a magazine, a book, something that I can hold in my hand. Uh, that's just my preferred way of receiving information. If I'm not listening to it or watching it, you know, radio and television are different than how you choose to consume uh, something you read. Uh, but I do like that. It's a more permanent record. It has a more permanence and, and professionalism to it, in my opinion. And they say print is dying for so many reasons. You know, Maybe a lot of print newspapers are dying. I mean, you've got a thousand newspapers that all say the exact same thing. I mean, the local newspaper in Memphis just copy and paste job from Associated Press articles. So 
you know, you can understand why a lot of those newspapers are dying. But what about one print newspaper that uh, you know has something interesting to say that that that, that has a, a diversity of opinion? Obviously, that's the American Free Press. So, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, and AFP has never been afraid to tackle some of the most controversial topics facing America, facing the world, for that matter. I cut my teeth reading American Free Press. Right. I, you know, I was reading it when I was 19 years old. So. Absolutely. Well, it was the well, spotlight back then, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's all very well said. And as we've sort of mentioned by now, obviously you are a contributor to American Free Press, which is America's last real newspaper. And this is all the more reason for those out there listening to pick up a subscription. If you do not already have one, excuse me. So um, check out AmericanFreePress.net for all those details. And I'm actually looking at the – I actually have the print copy right here of the first article that was – well, maybe not the first one, but the first in, in what, 15, tw- almost 20 years now? Oh, yeah. It would have been that the it, first yeah. <laughs> one that I wrote exclusively for the American Free Press that got printed, and really the first good one, or at least the decent <laughs> one. But no, seriously, uh, since 2003. Yeah, because once I started the radio show, it was, it was all into that. So Right. Well, this was published a couple issues ago in issue 25 and 26. We actually just wrapped up issue – 29 and 30 that is going to the printer as we speak and we'll talk about your piece in that in the in this most recent issue in just a moment but i wanted to bring this up because this was very this was actually an article that i was not expecting to read from you but it was very very interesting i thought it's titled rosa parks has ruined june for me (laughs) and you know you talk about you, you had mentioned your birthday was in june and happy belated birthday by the way thank you yeah and um it's interesting because of course June coincides with Pride Month, which is a very oh, just I'm so sick of this crap, man. Like it's it's just like <laughs> well, that was, that was, it's like celebrating degeneracy. Mind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you know what? Why don't you just you know tell us a bit about this piece and what inspired you to you know to write it briefly? Well, I I will say too. I mean, as far as I stand and or rather sit right now. It, it is certainly my intention to uh, to continue to work closely with the American Free Press, and uh, as long as y'all like what I have to send in, and of course you've offered some su- suggestions, you're you're a good editor, uh, John. You, you you put your writers in a position <laughs> where they can succeed, but uh, but I'd like to have something in there every every paper, so long as you need the content, and I don't wear out my welcome. So this is something that I hope will be a longstanding partnership. But uh, we we kicked it off, we broke the ice with that piece, and it's always easier for me. Uh, and I don't see myself as a writer. I appreciate you saying that I write well enough to <laughs> to, to fit the print. But um, and I'm a radio commentator. But uh, I it's easier when it flows. And I, I entered into the cathartic exercise after I got banned uh, from Twitter by writing my uh, writing something about it. I just needed to vent. And uh, Jared Taylor at American Renaissance and Peter Brimelow of Vidare. Uh, I just sent it to them because we're close friends and we we talk uh, and exchange emails just about every day, uh, talk, text, or exchange emails at least weekly, if not daily. And so I just sent this up and I said, "Hey guys, I'm just venting." And I just uh, sent this over. They both uh, put it up at Vidair and Amrin respectively and ran it online. And um, and then I got to thinking more about you know again the opportunity with AFP after being banned from Twitter. And uh, it's easy when you're passionate about something. That's the thing. So I was passionate. I was ready to write something. I was full of, you know, uh, uh, emotion in a good way, uh, emotion enough to motivate me to to do it. And so that just kind of flowed. And then that, this this was on my mind with with June because growing up, having a birthday in June, growing up in June. I mean, it was just uh, it, uh, it had a wonderful spot in my 
in my life. Uh, June and summer were just always fun times, family memories. And now just these last few years, uh, June is associated with so-called Pride Month and, and the ridiculous Juneteenth. And uh, so the month of June, especially the last two or three years, has just become very sullied for me. Like I, right. as we get a little bit closer to June, I start to dread it a little bit because like we got all you got all these companies with the you know, absurd rainbow logo changing their logos to rainbow colors, and then now the again the just preposterous Juneteenth federal holiday. I was gonna say, didn't they just recently make that a federal holiday? Yeah, I don't know when that was. I don't know if it was. This year, or I, I, was this year the first year that was? No, it? no. This is okay, I was going to say, I don't remember. Third, the, okay, okay. I, it, I knew it, it was right relatively Biden, recently. Okay. Right after Biden got elected. So, I mean, excuse me. Um, yeah, his inauguration was January of 2021. It might have gone in as recently uh, or as late or as early as then. It was at least last year. But now, no. And it's actually the, the, the full name of the holiday is Juneteenth National Independence Day. Uh, so, I mean, it's obviously here to compete directly with the 4th of July. This is just uh, as the separation and the divide of of this country, and eventually it's June inevitable June 18th, National Independence Day. Yeah, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page here real quick. Oh, my gosh. this yeah. Our country is so absurd. Well, and then, you know, of course, you know, they, they have the – and they've been having – I mean, I remember growing up. I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, and they would have Juneteenth – um, events, you know, mainly like in the black part of town, but inevitably, and, and this was on vivid display this past, you know, Juneteenth holiday, you know, there's violence, there's shootings, there's crime, there's, you know, people getting murdered. So it's just a total joke. And I mean, not, not to, not yeah, to, what, yeah, I, not I, to we, I think I said that uh, with the Congress, but I said, you know, I don't really know how you celebrate Juneteenth. Do you go out and engage in mass shooting? Because it seemed as though everywhere where they were actually having Official celebrations, there was gunplay there. <laughs> exactly. The, uh, yeah, so. it was like literally all across the country. I'm try- I was actually just trying to look and see when it was officially um, – when it officially became a federal holiday. At least 2022. But, okay. At least. Anyways, it's not even that – no, actually 2021. Yeah, you're right. It was yeah, 2021. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. So um, anyways, I knew it was relatively recent. Um, but yeah, so we got Juneteenth. We got Pride Month. Um, you know, and, and traditionally, and you make this point very well in the article, you know, I mean, growing up, I associate June with, uh, the dog days of summer, baseball games. We got the college world series that takes place yeah, in summer June. break from school, summer, exactly. Swimming pools, barbecues, this sort it's of thing. It's all American time. Fourth yeah. of July, family get togethers. Pick, yeah, of course it's all. Amer- and then now, you know, it, 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 you think of it, you know, at, at least in part with you associated with degeneracy and, absurdity and and yeah so the, the whole point of the article was i trace it back to rosa parks and the so-called civil rights movement people look at these radical egalitarian movements of today well all of that was good but you know homosexuality and homosexual marriage is a bridge too far or or somebody would say well even that's okay but you know transgenderism is a, is, is a bridge too far and the so-called transgender right it's just it's not it's all bad it's all bad and you know, the latest radical egalitarianisms aren't bad, and the previous ones are good. They were really all bad, and it really goes back to uh, the precedents that were set uh, with um, uh, the you know, Rosa Parks and, and how they used that scripted and manufactured production to usher in and help uh, usher in the civil rights era. And they've taken that blueprint and 
they moved it forward time and time and time again. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I, tra- well, I trace it back to her. And, yeah. Well, and, and you make the point well how – No, you make the point well I think and, and you know, actually how like the, the whole LGBTQ plus movement has basically – you know, going back to – probably what like the 60s 70s 80s you know adopted a lot of the same tactics of yeah. the civil rights the quote-unquote civil rights movement so yeah it all sort of ties in together and it's all basically well, of course they've all got the same management too behind the scenes if you know what yeah. I yeah mean. oh absolutely the, so yeah, of course the same, they, they, same they, they they stick with what's worked but yep. <laughs> well but and, yeah, and, so and it's and it's it's basically just like one more broader assault on traditional white america frankly that's right well, that's the one common denominator, that's for sure, and that is exactly at the end game what it's all about. Uh, but it won't always be that way. It won't always be this way. I mean, this 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 very <laughs> this very bizarre age and uh, the American experiment will will come to an end, and that that's another topic. But uh, I I don't think it's just going to be an endless uh, an an endless loop of things like this, I, I think at some point uh, we're well, going to come out on top. And I really, I really believe it. Yep, absolutely. Well, and, and this is something that I was speaking with uh, Padraig Martin about and something he wrote in the, in the book about is how where we're at today, um, the, the U S government is making all the mistakes of an empire in decline, right? I mean, there's yeah. absolutely no legitimacy in the eyes of the vast majority of people in the mainstream media in the federal government at virtually all level, you know, v- virtually all levels of government for that matter, especially at the federal level, even in the integrity of our elections and, you know, the, the, the quote unquote public health authorities with this alleged pandemic. I mean, the, the whole system has just been totally discredited. So we're, you know, we're, we're ripe for uh, some major changes to take place in the next few years. And, and, and really my goal, your goal, I'm sure is, is basically articulating a message, you know, what, what are some potential solutions to this madness we see before us every single day? There's just no way that this country is going to stay together. That's not hyperbole. That's not just naivete. That's not pie in the sky. You cannot have, and we've talked about this before, John, but you cannot have, I would say two blocks of people, but there are many different people groups and ideologies that for lack of uh, complicating things, we'll just put into the red block and the blue block. But these two sides that represent about half the country each uh, are diametrically opposed. They have no common ground. They literally do uh, oppose each other at every turn. There is far less today holding America together than even that it was before the uh, the Civil War, or the war between the states. Uh, there is nothing that binds America together right now, or at least those two sides of America. Uh, but uh, except for a very tenuous economy and some vapid consumerism, what do they call yeah. that? What do they call it in divorce court? Irreconcilable differences, I believe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's yeah. that's what we're we're facing in America today. Yeah, and, and we wanted, I think, a divorce. It's not a matter, by the way, if you if you want secession or not. The, the fact of the matter remains, Americans were too comfortable for too long. And they fell asleep at the wheel, and there is no way to reform this existing system. And that's that's not bad news for me because uh, I'm not concerned with maintaining this arbitrary form of government. That's not my number one priority. I'm not concerned with keeping the 50 states that, that currently make up our disunion uh, together. My 
first and foremost concern is our people. You know, so I, I differentiate and separate a nation from a country, a nation from a form of government. Uh, my first concern is with, with our nation, our people, our, our, our blood, our kith and kin. And so as long as our people have a future, I, I don't care what you call the country we live in or what form of government we have. I mean, whites have flourished throughout history with many, many, many different forms of government. Uh, and so that, that's not the concern for me. But I think it is just hard to imagine uh, this country staying together as it is currently made up. I mean, already, John, there's so much going on out there. So I was at, at, at Freedom Fest, uh, which is sort of like a, a collection of conservative liberals. It's a, it's a dying breed in this age of polarization where you have people that are sort of libertarians, you know, true libertarians, where they think, you know, the abstract ideas of liberty and freedom and principles are going to save us. Well, you, you, it just won't work because even if you wanted it to, the left doesn't believe that. The left doesn't believe, have any principles except doing away with people like us. Uh, they don't have a sense of fair play or a sense of law and order, so you can't deal with them that way. And if you can't deal with them, then what are you going to do with them? You're going to have to separate. Uh, but it, it, it's interesting, though, even at this event that I was at, which was a pretty big event. I mean, it, it, it draws several thousand people a year, although the attendance this year was really depressed. Uh, but I met with people from a New Hampshire secessionist movement. I met with uh, people from a Texas secessionist movement. And by the way, in Texas, they've already, uh, in the state Republican Party of Texas, which is the biggest Republican party in the country, uh, the delegates to the state GOP convention last summer in Houston, so right at a year ago now, put it into their official platform to call for secession. So you say, well, why haven't they done that already? Well, obviously, there's a difference between the people who attend the state party meetings, the delegates of the state party and the members of the state legislature. But it just goes to show that the Republican Party of the state of Texas is already advocating for secession. Uh, and then you have, of course, the greater Idaho movement, uh, where county governments have already voted to secede from Oregon and join Idaho. And then in, in New Hampshire. I, I talked to this guy at Freedom Fest from New Hampshire, who was a member of one of their secessionist movements. He said secession in New Hampshire is polling at 20 percent. And this is something that you would have never heard before because I was shocked to hear it, that it already has been voted on in the New Hampshire uh, state legislature. Now, it failed, but it did actually get to the House floor for a vote. And I think 13 members of the state legislature in New Hampshire voted for it. So just right here alone, and there are more, but you're looking at New Hampshire. You're looking at Texas. And you're looking at Idaho, and you're not just talking about a few kooks and cranks. You're talking about this has been voted on in, in New Hampshire, where it's receiving 20 percent of popular support. Uh, the state party of Texas has put it in their official platform, and in Idaho on a county level, uh, it's, it's uh, passing with the support of the elected officials. So uh, where does this all lead? I mean, this is, this is where we're at now. I mean, things are really starting to happen at a real fast pace now. And if there ever is going to be a crack up of the system, I think we're closer to that now uh, than at any point uh, in our lives. And we really haven't seen anything like this before, John. I mean, you've got, you've got Trump now. He's got, he just said on Truth Social, we're going to be talking about this on, on uh, Saturday night as well with Brad Griffin of Occidental Descent. But uh, Trump says he's going to be arrested for a third time in the last six months here coming up for another January 6th. Uh, situation. He's going to get arrested in Atlanta by the district attorney in Fulton County, Georgia, Fannie Willis, uh, for uh, things that are going on down there. Uh, I think we're in 
this is a, this is a quote from Brad Griffin, and I agree with him because we're going to be talking about this on Saturday, right after you come on. But we're, he writes, we're objectively in a vortex of a major historical crisis. Events are moving rapidly, and and what I'm saying to you is, with all of this discontent, with the two sides having these irreconcilable differences. I mean, from the very belief in in, in a god to, uh, I think you should go to prison for performing child gender mutilation, which they call uh, gender-affirming care, or the other side saying, I think you should go to prison for not believing uh, that a kid, you know, eight years old can make this decision to forever sterilize him or herself. I, you're not putting that toothpaste back in the can, and I think people are already right there underneath the surface. Now, what's kept something from happening already? Again, the answer is people are still relatively getting along. The economy is putting around just well enough to where people can still put food on the table, although you got a lot of you know rising costs in food and goods and inflation. Uh, but as long as people are relatively comfortable, they're not going to take that, that, that necessary step. But when they start to suffer a little bit, you let the grid go out. I mean, hell, it's hard enough to keep power on now anytime a storm comes in. You let Donald Trump get arrested and incarcerated. This is the guy that uh, – uh, and put in prison before he can, he can run next year, which is a very real possibility, very real. Uh, that that's the, the guy that exactly half the country voted for. Tens of millions of people. They're gonna let uh, you know some third world situation manifest itself where he gets taken out by his rival, like you see in third world countries where the successor president imprisons his his predecessor. You got the biggest land war in Europe since World War II. That can spiral out of control at any moment. You got the radicalization of of the Trump base. In the best sense of the word that has happened under the past three years under Biden, most people are now say, saying that there will be a civil war happen in their lifetimes. This is where the people are right now, and they are just waiting for an event, whatever that event may be, economic collapse, World War III, um, you name it. But something's going to happen, and when it does, uh, all of this is going to sort itself out. It has to. It has yeah, to. yeah, yeah. No, look, you're making a lot of good points, and uh, yeah, the, this whole thing with Trump, and you know, we, we've talked about Trump in previous podcasts, and you know, you've talked about him, you know, extensively on your program. I've covered him extensively on on my program. I've written numerous articles in the paper about it, just about the political situation in general and about Trump and what he represents. And I think that the entire establishment is so fearful of him, not necessarily because. Of what he's done. I mean, basically, he failed to fulfill virtually all of his main campaign priorities, anyways. Um, but uh, really, I think it's what he represents. And we're at a point now where federal prosecutors and the FBI, you know, have and, and continue to basically ignore serious law and order issues, you know, including rampant violent crime in major cities and years of rioting and looting and, and outright terrorism committed by far-left radicals and Antifa and Black Lives Matter and all this other nonsense, yet they continue to focus all their attention and resources on Trump, on his supporters, on people that, you know, innocently went to, you know, the January 6th rally in, in the nation's capital, on, quote-unquote, you know, domestic extremists and, and white supremacy. I mean, that's been, that's been the major talking point ever since Biden stepped foot in the White House, is that the greatest threat facing the country is white supremacy and, you know, quote-unquote domestic extremists who they associate with your average white American patriot. And this kind of all ties into the main topic that you wrote about 
for this most recent issue of the paper, and you sort of dismantle this concept of quote unquote systemic racism, you know, because most people assume, and, the, and you know, of course, it's this long-running media myth that you know the, the United States of America is this white supremacist country. There's this you know idea of systemic racism oppressing and holding back people of color. All of it is literally the exact opposite. If there is any sort of systemic racism in this country, it's systemic racism against traditional white, you know, Christian peoples that founded this country. <laughs> There's certainly no argument for me on that. And yes, this was a topic that you thought might be a a good one to write about, and you hear it all the time. And this is this is how I open the the article that'll be appearing in the forthcoming edition, the most recent edition, the one hot off the press or coming off the press right now from. American free press, but confronting systemic racism. You hear the, the, those two words all the time, systemic racism. Uh, but the truth is that <laughs> it's uh, exactly the opposite of the way the media portrays it to be. It's, there is systemic racism. They are absolutely right about that. It is systemic, and it, it, it affects every institution of power, and, and, and we feel it in our daily lives. Uh, all the time, but it's it's the exact opposite of the actual truth, which is becoming more and more obvious. Uh, you have systemic racism. It is racism uh, of the system, which the system is our media, our government, our courts, et cetera, et cetera, against white people. And I just it's just a very easy article to write because you're looking for the examples of how systemic racism purposefully targets uh, whites. There is no shortage of content there, and I, I think I put in about a dozen bullet points, just sort of uh, making the uh, making the article uh, and and giving you examples uh, that uh, people can can ponder on. Uh, it's some sort of a uh, elementary level on some uh, to, to some extent, but th these are things. This is this is it though. But people are waking up all the time. They wake people up, wake people up, wake people up. What good to do to wake them up if they don't ever do anything? Things are about to happen. And it is important to, to, to let these people know because some people are still salvageable. But I think most people have already uh, got on one side or the other because, again, we really do live in this age of unprecedented, uh, at least going back many, many, many uh, decades, if not generations now, of polarization. And uh, it, it, it'll sort itself out. You, the greatest generation – uh, so-called greatest generation. I, I, I really do respect and admire the valor and the gallantry, but uh, man, what a waste. And the silent generation, I mean, they, they've almost died off now. And so you really haven't had um, uh, a real war in a long time. And wars are cyclical. And we're at a stage now where confidence in the system is collapsing. Both sides see each other as mortal enemies in an existential conflict like you had in the South back in, in, in the 1860s. And all of this was unthinkable just um, just a few years ago. Uh, but this is uh, this is where we are now. And I, I think uh, I know everybody has said for as long as we've lived and I'm sure much longer than that. This is the most important election of our lifetime, most important election of our lifetime. Oh, it's going to collapse any minute. It's going to collapse any minute. I think there are so many measurable and observable ways for us to, to say with, with certainty that there will be an event. Now, the event may not go the way we want it to go. It may be the event that finishes us off once and for all, or the event can open up opportunities, which I think is going to be more likely. But I think that event, whatever that event may be, uh, will present itself soon within certainly within our lifetimes uh, for those of us who are middle-aged yeah. or younger yeah 
Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're probably right about that. And, you know, it, it's, these things take time. I mean, you, you know, these, these sorts of, um, I, I hate to even use the word revolution, but I think that is ultimately what, what, what will take place is there's going to be a revolution and that it doesn't even necessarily have to be a violent thing, by the way. And I certainly don't advocate or encourage violence no. in any way, but it, 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 it takes time. Yeah. You, when, you look at it, you just, it, you look at history and this, this happens throughout history. Empires rise, empires fall. Decadent nations come and go, and America's not going to be an exception to that. So yes, you don't right, have to do anything exactly. to go out and hasten that the, the 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 collapse. It's going to collapse based upon its own gravity and its own weight. It's just it's, it's well, going I to think happen. These, what we I think these yeah. Well, and I think these frankly lunatic, radical left, you know, anti-white people that have basically taken over the country, you know, just continue to push, and they will not let up. They double down every single time, and we've seen this over the course – I mean just in my lifetime. I mean I remember when Barack Obama stepped foot on the political stage, a very, very mysterious character, didn't have much – you know, nobody really knew, <laughs> knew much about this guy, and yet here he is running for president shortly after becoming the senator from the state of Illinois. And you know all the rhetoric we saw under his administration, we saw you know the rise of Black Lives Matter and this whole idea that mm-hmm. black people are being systemically – discriminated against by the police and targeted for police violence and, and being murdered by the police. I mean, all these things are just absurd. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. There are, you know, many or not many, but there are certain examples where there, there is police misconduct, but by and large, this is a totally media created narrative. And it goes all the way back to the Trayvon Martin situation and, and all of the other, um, you know, media created events that we've seen since then, most recently, the whole George Floyd situation, um, but See, all you know, of that, all yeah. of that really helped uh, the, the left uh, out of their own sheer absurdity uh, and, and hysterics has done more to wake up our people than any of us pulling in the same direction could have That's done right. with, with all of our might. And so nat- this is what I'm talking about. Natural events are going to play into our hands because what we are saying is is the truth. It's based on God's law, nature's law, scientific law. Everything backs us up. Uh, people have gone along with it. A lot of people – we say this all the time. Most people are just going to look after number one. They're going to say and do whatever they need to say or do to get by. There are few people on either side of the political spectrum with inflexible beliefs, uh, and that's good for us in, in some ways because once the tide does shift us, and, it, and it's going to, and it is, uh, then people are just going to fall in line. You look at the ebbs and flows of civilization. We talked about this just a moment ago, and – you look at, for instance, of course, uh, the Muslim occupation of, of Spain that lasted for uh, two or three hundred years. I'm sure people who who were living under that oppression, whites in Spain who were living under that for generations, I'm sure they thought it could never get worse than it is now. Nothing will ever change. And then very gradually and all at once it did. And then you had Ferdinand and Isabella. They expelled them all. And then we had Columbus in the age of exploration that came as a direct result of all of that. You had the fall of the Soviet Union. Who could have ever saw that at a, at a certain time in history? I, I'm a, 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 I have a, fa- a fascination with pre-Columbian cultures, too. I like the Aztecs. Uh, not that I necessarily admire them. I'm just fascinated. So I, and I, I just, I'm a historical junkie, so I love to read. And I've always enjoyed reading about this because it's so alien and so different. Uh, but uh, there, there you had the, the Aztecs who sort of set up their empire in, in the late 1300s and you know, had these pyramids. They oppressed everybody. They were the most powerful uh, tribe and civilization in, in the Americas. 
And then a few hundred conquistadors came in 1519, and, and that was it. All right, so it just ended. They, they lasted uh, right at uh, around 250 years as a civilization, and I think that's remarkable because America was founded in 1776. 2026, three years from now, will be 250 years for America, and it will not make it to 300 as it exists now. And you are right. already seeing. You are already seeing a lot of pushback now. I'm telling you, the Trump base has radicalized. They get it now, and they get that there can be no compromise with these people. You know, when I wrote the book Racism, Macism, uh, business was good uh, for the race pimps and the race hustlers. You call anybody a racist, you either completely do away with them or you get them to acquiesce and grovel and, and, and pledge fealty and explain why they're not a racist. Now, I mean, you look at what happened with, with Bud Light on one hand. I mean, what a loss they've taken. And this situation, this is, I think this is very key. I, I don't think a, a, enough of a, a, a big deal has been made, and it is still relatively new. It's only been in the news for the last 48 hours, but I know you've covered, uh, been watching it too, John, with this country singer Jason Aldean who, who uh, wrote a song called Try That in a Small Town. I mean, it's pretty obvious that he's talking about the uh, the because he uses the news footage, the news uh, television footage in his music video that accompanies the song, uh, talking about the violence from 2020 with Black Lives Matter and Antifa. Try that in a small town is the is the song is sort of this defiant anthem that hey, what plays in the big cities and these liberal bastions? You try that in a small town and see what happens. And then instantly, instantly, here comes the media, racist, racist, racist. Not only was the song really anti-violent, saying hey, you don't come into a small town and try that where law and order exists, it's really a you know, song promoting anti-violence. But they're saying it was not only not that, that he is a racist, and he's actually promoting lynching, that this song is about lynching blacks. This is how warped and deranged they are. But it, just a few years ago, that he would have been done. He would have been apologizing. Not only is he not apologizing, his wife's saying, we're not going to back down from uh, telling the truth. And this is now the number one song. This is the number one song. Uh, on um, on streaming, the number one song being purchased right now, you, you're actually seeing the the right push back, uh, push back, and I think you're going to be seeing a lot finally, more. Finally, anecdotal. Finally. This thing with Jason Aldean is anecdotal, uh, but it's uh, I think it's going to be part of a growing trend. You're going to see, you're going to see that I'm right. No, I think so. I mean, it's almost a badge of honor these days. You know, we've been saying that for a long time. Oh, you know, I made the ADL top yeah. anti, you know, top anti-Semite list or. I made the hate the hate map or whatever that the SPLC does, but I mean this is impacting just average everyday people, and I'm sure Jason Aldean is no quote unquote white supremacist or even a white nationalist. I mean I, he's probably just a regular good old American you know patriotic man. Yeah, good instincts exactly. But fine. I mean that's really what we are, and, and 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 there's not a lot of separation from the average guy that would working class country music fan. And, and and people like us. Now I know well, again, and, and they, I think, they've all tried to make us radioactive, uh, but we just have a little bit better means of articulating what we feel. Uh, these are our people, though. And you're and you're right. I mean, it was just a few years ago as well uh, that it was a kiss of death to be targeted by the ADL and the SPLC. And I'm not saying that they can still damage people. They can and they do. But uh, it is a whole new ball game on that front as well. Where now you have 20. There's 50 states. 20 state. Uh, attorney general, uh, attorneys general have issued a joint letter condemning the SBLC as a as a fundraising hustle and as a hate group in itself. And you've got people like Ted Cruz now. You've even got uh, people like Charlie Kirk 
and some of these conservative incorporated types who were kicking out people three or four years ago for saying the exact same thing that they're saying now. I mean, they've really mm -hmm. yeah. taken on uh, a more racial outlook in, in a lot of their commentary. So again, Charlie Kirk and some of these other people that occupy that space and normie uh, conservatism are saying the things that they were kicking pe people out for a few years ago. And they are saying that, hey, if you're not getting attacked by the SBLC, something's wrong with you. I mean, yeah, you would have never yeah, heard exactly. that a few years ago, John. Things are changing observably so in real time right now. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's because it's just so obvious and on display every single day of the week. You know, it's something you really can't ignore. It's And, you know, just talking to average people, you know, nor, quote unquote normies, people do recognize it. They, they, they recognize the LGBTQ crap that's shoved down their throat every single day. They recognize some of the points that you make in your article, how, you know, you look at some of these advertisements and some of these commercials, and there's not a single white person in any of it. You look at how blacks are elevated and excused for pretty much all their crimes and, and degenerate behavior. Um, and, and, you know, so, it, and, and another point is we're seeing this play out in real, in real life. I actually wrote a piece. I wanted to bring this up actually and get your take on it. I wrote a piece for the last issue of American Free Press um, highlighting a couple individual cases, and there was many, many more I could have talked about. You know, I just didn't have the 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 you know the word constraints. You know, sort of limit you know what you're able to cover. Uh, but I highlighted a couple cases of just average white guys. One guy was a, a former Marine that served in the New York Police Department. He's filing a suit against the city of New York, or I'm sorry, against the New York Police Department itself, I guess, um, for racial discrimination. They specifically targeted him yeah. because he was white. And now, of course, this doesn't get much media coverage. It was covered by the New York Post, where I relied on um, – which an article I relied on for most of the information in the article. Um, but it's just interesting how even like average you know, blue-collar working-class people are experiencing this. You knew a guy um, – and I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but I think he was a – what was he, like a um, public defender? Yeah. In New, was it New Jersey? Yeah. And he faced a similar situation where he's outright being – targeted specifically because he's white you know he's he, you know he's pursuing a lawsuit against against that particular city there was a guy um at penn state university and, and I, I wrote about this in the article that i'm referring to uh professor zach DePiro. um you know this 40 year old white you know associate english professor who is specifically targeted for his race and is basically you know forced to take these you know this like woke indoctrination that you see not only in colleges, but now even in the U.S. military academies. At, I, I wrote a piece for this issue of American Free Press about how the U.S. Air Force Academy is promoting all this woke anti-white crap like critical race theory and Black Lives Matter and the idea of white supremacy. And, and, and all of these – this is another point I wanted to make. We're, we're basically th – this to me, like this, these concepts like critical race theory, white supremacy – the, the very notion of racism. This is like intellectual violence being committed mm -hmm. against white people, right? And it needs to be understood that way because they basically have a – and they have for a very long time. That's rapidly eroding. But they've just had a total stranglehold on these perspectives, on these narratives, and it's just been shoved down our throats. And it's becoming increasingly untenable. I mean, when, when white people are openly discriminated like this, even, you know, average blue collar workers, when you can't even white people are the only group that aren't even allowed to, to stand up and and be proud of their heritage. You know what I mean? It's it, the, the double standards are just impossible to ignore these days.
And I think people tried for so long uh, to just swallow it. I mean, everybody was thriving in terms of, you know, at least economically. They swallowed a lot of stuff that they shouldn't have. I, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Aliens. Which yes. Would, I, oh, I yeah. grew up watching the movie Aliens, even yeah. though it's got the female lead. I mean, Sigourney Weaver does a great job in that movie, and I, I you know, I never thought about things like that back then. It's sort of absurd that, you know, this this woman would be the the one to to save all the Marines or you know be the last man standing and all that. But it's it's a what probably the greatest sequel, uh, and certainly one of the best action slash sci fi movies ever made. Wonderful movie. I, anytime it's on, I still watch it. Grew up watching. Love the movie. But there's this one scene, and I think it's sort of sort of like where our people are now, or or the white people at large. Uh, one scene where Ripley's in front of the the alien queen, and they're sort of having this silent standoff, and and then one of the the uh, all of the uh, the warrior aliens are backing off, and then one of the the eggs you know hatches, and then Sigourney Weaver cocks her head and just. It starts letting loose and, you know, letting loose with the flamethrower and the grenades. I think our people are there right now where with uh, the George Floyd riots and everything we saw there. And then now this thing where now you're going to make us accept transgenderism. It's like normal white people across the country have just collectively cocked their heads and said, I, I get it now. Yeah, now this is it. Yeah. We're going to fight back. And and really, you really can Give Trump a lot of credit for this, whether it's inadvertent, and I, I think a lot of it was inadvertent. Uh, but you, you mentioned, you know, how they're coming after him. We were talking about that earlier, and and why is this, and why is that? But I, I think he was certainly. They saw him. They they overreacted to I think the threat that he would have been otherwise. Uh, but they saw him as at least an avatar for the people who are truly hated in this country, which is average working class white conservatives. Uh, Christians especially, they saw him as an avatar because he was at least saying things that 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 our people, those people, our people, you know, like to hear, and so they treated him as if he was truly this this guy who was going to come in and up in the apple cart. And I think through their overreaction, through every single day, every single day, from the time Trump came down the escalator through both runs for office every single day, no matter what he did, he could have cured cancer. He could have walked on water. He could have eradicated poverty, brought world peace. They would have still called him a racist, white supremacist, neo-Nazi. Everything he did, no matter what it was, every article, every time, without exception, racist, 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 racist. And I think a lot of people got numb to it. I think they really saw now, hey, what has he ever done that's racist? He's not saying anything that I don't disagree with. He's the Republican nominee. He's the president. And if they can do that to a sitting president, I think people just got it. I think it, because of Trump, because of Trump more than anything in, or anyone else, people really began to understand this is it. If you do anything or say anything that they don't like, they're going to try to ruin you. And people got numb to it. And uh, now uh, we, we've it's, just come a really long way. I think the, the white base now is at a place that they never would have been had it not been for Trump because otherwise the system had it all under control. It was going right. to be – uh, Hillary Clinton. It was going to be Jeb Bush. It was going to be George Bush. It was going to be George H. W. Bush. It was going to be Bill Clinton. I mean, it just it was going to be the lesser of two evils forever. And and Trump was a disappointment on some ways, but I think in many ways uh, he was the one. He's not going to be the one that's going to take us to the promised land, but he, he might be the one who who got the ball started. And I think he was. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, he was definitely a, a sort of revolutionary figure in American politics, and, and remains remains to remains that way you know to this very day 
And, you know, one last point I'd like to make is that, you know, the, the, the media's overreaction to Trump and, and just they're doubling down with all this anti-white rhetoric. They can't the, stop. All the woke crap. They literally cannot stop. And it's like every single day people are being bombarded with this nonsense. And it's always white people's fault. Somehow, some way. I'm just I, I just saw this last night and I'm just like dumbfounded. CNN headline mass shootings in major metropolitan areas in the United States disproportionately affect black people. And structural racism plays a role. So, so it's like, yeah, see, but, but I mean, all of that. I mean, those are a dime a dozen. You, you that's what that I mean. Like, day, exactly. That's my point. Yep. And they don't have any awareness. This is the thing. If they had any awareness or any discernment, they would pump the brakes. Say, uh, hold on. Let's just slow things down because that's all they had to do. That's all they had to do uh, in, in the 2000s. Mitt Romney, John McCain. Barack Obama, I mean, give me a break. All the system had to do was just set on the ball and let demographic destiny run its full course. That's all they had to do. But they couldn't do it because there's something wrong with them. I, I, I think there's even a demonic element in play. If they had any sense of awareness or discernment, they would have just pumped the brakes, not overreacted. Everything was going their way. And now I think it's very much in question. I think now whites have reached um, – an awareness themselves that isn't going to go back in the box and uh, it's it's going to give us a chance. It's going to give us a chance. Absolutely. Well, and we're going to continue to talk about these important issues and never back down, of course. And I know you're going to do that over at The Political Cesspool, your radio program, thepoliticalcesspool.org, which again airs every Saturday night from 6 to 9 p.m. And if you guys want to tune in, you can catch me there this Saturday. That's what – uh, what is it? The July 22nd, I believe. 22nd. Yep. Yeah. So just a couple days from now. Um, and then, of course, in the pages of American Free Press, where, James, I look forward to seeing more of your articles published. They're, they're, they've been excellent, and I know they will continue to be. And there's definitely no shortage of topics to cover these days. So I look no, forward to yeah. Listen, as long as you and, and Paul were, will humor me, I look forward to being a, a regular fixture there. I've really enjoyed the first three uh, submissions so far, so that's uh, that's already about a month and a half, and uh, we're we're just getting started. And you know, you'll be hearing a lot more from me, and you'll you'll be hearing more from John on on the program. It's wonderful to to, to team up with organizations that have that sort of longstanding history and longevity. That's that's uh, we've been on the air 19 years. That's a drop in the bucket to the history of TBR and AFP. So uh, those are the kind of people that I look up to, and it's it's wonderful to be able to to do these things for the greater good. Absolutely. Very well said. And I couldn't agree with you more, James. Well, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. You enjoy the rest of your evening and I will be talking to you on Saturday. You got it, my friend. Okay. Take care, man. All right. Bye-bye.